Our reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning in the 31st verse. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my life, I've had the, the fortune and or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, of some unusual experiences. One of them, maybe among the most dramatic, was being held hostage at gunpoint when I was a young boy. We were visiting, my mother and I, in the apartment complex that we lived in, a neighboring friend in an apartment. There on the ground level of that apartment, they were all one level, I should say. Uh, the bad guys decided that we shouldn't leave. And so there is someone at the front door guarding our way and someone with the gun at the sliding glass door uh, keeping us in. And it was, to say the least, dramatic. But that's not what I, part of the story I want to tell you. Part of the story I want to tell you is how we were rescued. And we were rescued quite literally, as you'll hear me share, by being surrounded by sacrifice. Now, I was uh, pretty young at the time, four or five years old, and I don't quite remember how the police got us outside the apartment. But what I do remember so vividly is when they were moving us to safety and we were outside the apartment, we were in the parking lot and then we were being ushered to a safe haven. Now we were surrounded, like in the middle of a football huddle, we were surrounded and shielded by the very bodies of the officers who were there protecting us. Now, 
Truth be told, I was young at the time, so to me it seemed like there must have been 12 or 20 police officers surrounding us. There might have only been three or four, I don't know. But I remember looking out from that huddle of uh, uh, shielding as they surrounded us, and I could see one of the bad guys fighting the police and eventually getting tackled. And I never felt afraid. I was protected. I probably also thought it was kind of cool, too, as a young boy, but that's besides the point, right? But as they shielded us with their very bodies, we were surrounded with their protection and sacrifice. And that's the picture I want to invite you to hold on to today as we talk about what it is we Christians believe about Holy Communion. A picture of being surrounded, completely surrounded, now not by many, but by one, who in fact did shield us with his very body. And did, in fact, lay down his life to protect us from the ravages of sin, that which is in us and that which comes after us. Surrounded by God's sacrificial grace. And we talk about that in terms of Holy Communion. We look at the elements of bread and wine or juice. We theologians often use this phrase, in, with, and under. What that means is that the God's word with those physical elements are in, with, and under these elements. It's God's word that makes them, the theological word is efficacious, that makes them effective. It's God's word in, with, and under. It's Jesus's sacrifice that surrounds and is with these gifts that God offers us. And so what we're invited to is to encounter Jesus who surrounds us with his sacrificial grace. In John 6, where we read from today, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, that's what we usually uh, say because that's the number given to us, but we know from scholars that probably there was a lot more people fed since only men were likely counted, so it could have been as many as 20,000 who were fed that day in this miraculous moment. And then where we parachute into the text, as I read for it for you this morning, Jesus is beginning to connect the dots. He's connecting the dots from what he's just done to what God has done in the past and history and what he's doing now, then I mean, and true, what he's doing now, and what he's about to do on the cross. And so Jesus is connecting the dots of God's faithfulness with God's people then and what he was doing then on that faithful day of feeding the thousands 
and proclaiming indeed that he is now the bread of life. Now I'll make a note of this in greater detail on Monday, Thursday, the, the evening and, and day that we celebrate the institution of Holy Communion, how it points back to the Passover and points ahead to Jesus. But all of this, all of this points to Jesus, an encounter with Jesus. And so as Jesus pointed back to the time of the wilderness when the Israelites were fed with the manna, I was reminded of that this week. I was reading in the book of Numbers again, and this time I was in chapter 33. And it was one of those chapters that it's kind of boring, all right? Because it goes like this in chapter 33. First they camped here. Then they camped here. Then they camped here. Then they camped here. And you keep going through the chapter, and the next part is, then they camped here. Then they camped here. And you're like, okay, okay, well. And then it dawned on me. In all of those wilderness locations, all of them, God, in the midst of a difficult season, of the wilderness, and we already know from weeks past that the wilderness is not the place you want to be. God was with them. His glory shined upon them in each and every one of those camps. God was with them. And Jesus is connecting the dots that He is with the people on that beach, and He is with you. And me, for it's no longer manna left out to grab with the dew in the morning. He now proclaims that he is the bread of life. Scholars will tell us that it was widely believed that in the messianic age, the gift of manna would be renewed. Jesus is saying, Hello. Here it is. It's me. I am the bread of life. Make no mistake, when Jesus said that, he was saying so that there would be no doubt on who he was. He was proclaiming boldly, I am the Messiah. I'm God. And yet, in the midst of this conversation, now remember, right after the feeding of the thousands, the folks there say, well, one scholar put it this way, is as if the people say, in effect, prove yourself if you're claiming to be Moses. Being greater than Moses, that is. The 12 baskets extra of food didn't seem to prove it to them. And so Jesus is showing us, showing them, that God is ushering the people to God's rescue plan, and He is it. This means we need to deal with the reality that Jesus is God. Jesus is God's rescue plan. He is the one who's come to surround us and lay His life down for us. This week I stumbled across an article about scholars 
who were once again reasserting and affirming that yes, they indeed agree that Jesus was a historical, real-life person that lived there in the first century. Of course, what's hard, especially for secular scholarships, to then go on to say that he was both fully man, fully human, and fully God. But that's what we confess, and we see the evidence for in the historic life of who Jesus is. Take this truth to the table of Holy Communion. The early church document called the uh, Didoche is where we see Holy Communion first called by another name other than Communion or Lord's Supper. There, it, based on the Greek word Eucharistio, it was called the Eucharist. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and translated into English, it literally says, as, as the liturgy uh, that we still use today is proclaimed there in 1 Corinthians to give thanks. So that word Eucharist literally means to give thanks. Give thanks for what? For what Jesus has done. Jesus is the rescue plan. He is the one that lays down his life. And by the way, the, the warnings of being unworthy in that First Corinthian text, as Howard Marshall will point out and add, are not about a warning to those who are leading unworthy lives and long for forgiveness, but to those who are making a mockery, he writes, of that which should have been most sacred and solemn. You see, what they were, First Corinthians, just celebrating a meal as part of the Corinthian culture and uh, one-manship and status showing. But the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, there would be none of that. We all come equal at the foot of the cross. It's not about you being worthy enough because the reality is, is you aren't. And neither am I. We all come sinful. We all come needing God's grace. And so as God's word in creation brought creation into life, as God's word worked and rescued God's people in the first Passover, getting his people out of Egypt, and then into the wilderness as God was with him, and then now, right up to God's rescue plan at the cross, we give thanks. Not for something that we have done. We come to this table of grace for something that God has done. All in the intimacy and relational connection that we all know are powerful in a meal. And so Jesus says to you and to me and to the disciples then, he is the bread of life. He sustains life. As the famous scholar William William Barclay will write, Clearly, Jesus means more than just physical existence. Real life and a new relationship with God is what he's talking about, made possible by Jesus. And the scholar will go on to write that without Jesus, there may be existence. 
but not life, not the zoe, not the abundant life that God intends. Jesus, he'll write, is the essential to life. And I love this when he writes, the restless soul is at rest. The hungry heart is satisfied. When we come to this bread of life. It's not that the challenges of this world don't exist or won't come after us. It's not that this world doesn't matter and all that matters is our soul. When our souls are satisfied, it isn't that this life doesn't matter. It is that we understand what this life means more fully. And so today is not a lecture about Holy Communion. It is rather an invitation to Jesus who is the bread of life. It's not a ladder up for God has come down. It's not an ethical philosophy although it is a response to God's love. So we do hallow God's name and love our neighbor And we let the overflow, just like the baskets of fish and bread were overflowing from that feeding, to share that massive overflow of God's love with all those around us. And nor is it a memorial solely dependent on what you remember or a symbol of what you think has already happened. It's not a ritual either where we follow the right protocols and if I follow just the right steps and get the right recipe, then I'll get the thing I want. That's where, by the way, uh, when uh, the worship service was in Latin and the words of institution were said, it sounded like hocus pocus. And so that phrase has been used now in uh, modern culture in modern literature, right? It's not just a memorial. It's not just a ritual. The power of the Eucharist that which we give thanks for is Jesus' word. Jesus' sacrifice that surrounds us. God doesn't need you to do something other than to come. God doesn't need the substance of the bread and wine to change any more than when he became incarnate. He was both fully God and fully human. Both were true at the same time. God does, with the power of his word and the sacrifice of his body, does the extraordinary with these ordinary elements. And so, as we understand when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, we believe that Jesus is really present. And by the way, it's not even what you come believing about Holy Communion, about what God does at the table that either makes you worthy or unworthy or makes you uh, what you're about to experience true or not true. It is God's Word. And so that's why we can boldly say all those who come to Jesus are welcome at this table. And so what's keeping you from receiving this gift? Receiving, being surrounded by God's sacrificial 
gift? Is it doubt? Trying to figure out the mystery of how God does this in Holy Communion? Well, good luck with that. We will not be able with a formula to solve this one as to how God gives us this grace and this mysterious gift. But what you can do is look to Jesus, this man who really did live, whose miracles were attributed to him even by those like Josephus who reported on it and didn't believe. So look to Jesus because after all, that's who you're encountering when you come to this meal. We don't have to figure out how God does it to know who Jesus is. And then we come humbly. We come repenting. We come in faith. It's that gift of faith that the Holy Spirit gives us. Again, it's not because of how good you are or I am. It's because of how good Jesus is. He lays down his life for us. Friends, the God of the universe has laid down his life for you. For when our souls are satisfied by this good bread, it isn't that this life doesn't matter, it does. It's that we understand what this life really means. Being in Christ. It's not just a picture of being surrounded by sacrifice and grace. It is indeed an encounter with Jesus. So come, Come, be surrounded by the word which is in, with, and under this gift. Remember, receive, repent, and give thanks. I pray today that you hear Jesus and his invitation to come to this table of grace. Amen.